everyone, welcome back to Finance Fridays. A quick little disclaimer, nothing said on these podcasts should be taken as specific financial, investment, legal, or even political advice. And we recommend you reach out to your financial planning team before making any changes based on our discussion today. For those of you who have follow-up questions for Mike or myself, or if you're looking for a financial planning team, feel free to check us out on altiusfinancial.com. That's A-L-T-I-U-S financial.com and just click the contact button to connect. Now let's get on with the podcast. So Mike, today's topic is a little intense. I feel like anyone who's been on social media lately would definitely say that politics are kind of a touchy subject heading into this election. I'm not here trying to create any drama or lose any friends, but I do think it's helpful to discuss the financial impact of this election. And so let's kind of start off with the title of the day. Does my vote count? Mike, what are your thoughts? When I put in my ballot this year, I've physically got my ballot right here next to me. Um, for those of you who don't know, there's six pages. I don't know if I just don't remember voting last time, but this seems huge to me. Well, you know, part of that's because of the, it's, you know, we're here in Colorado and uh, Colorado is a little bit unique in that it has this, uh, this initiative process. This has been, you know, for decades. And, and this is another good point, you know, you're saying you don't want to create any drama or lose any friends. I actually want to create drama, Taylor. I think it's okay if we create some drama. I'm not here to lose any friends, mine or yours either. But I think, you know, that one of the things that people find interesting about podcasts is, is some conflict or drama. You know, again, we don't want to overdo it, but it's okay for us to, to deal with some uh, controversial topics. And you're absolutely right that the, the election, especially this year, is controversial. But I was saying that for a number of decades, Colorado has longer ballot than most states because we have this state initiative process that allows the citizens to vote on more, more things. Uh, and you know, that happened for, for a number of historical reasons. But that's partly why we have a longer ballot than a lot of people do. Okay. So, you know, when you ask the question, you know, does your vote count? Does my vote? Does anyone votes count? I mean, any individual, um, you know, just in terms of math, um, you know, with regard to the national election, uh, it's pretty rare that any one individual's vote makes a big difference. Um, now, the, that isn't always true. I mean, the, we've seen cases where, you know, president, presidential elections boil down to certain, certain states, and then within those states, certain, certain counties uh, where they really had, had a close vote, and it made a difference in terms of the representation, the electoral college, and so forth. But on a local issue, it certainly does make a difference. I mean, you know, the, the smaller the geographic area that you're voting about or voting within, uh, the more likely it does make a difference. And, you know, I think, I mean, my, my sense is, you know, you should be a good citizen. America was founded on, the, on these, you know, these ideals about self-governance and people being involved. And so I think people should vote. Now, does that mean you should vote in every election on everything? And, you know, it doesn't. I don't necessarily think that. I think people should should be good citizens. Yeah. Well, I feel if if you turn on the comp the computer or the TV or anything you look at right now, it's saying, "Oh, everyone, just get out there and vote." And um, and I feel it's I'm going to take the the so-called millennial perspective right now. <laughs> and, um, while everyone's saying go out and vote, there's also something that's been a little bit of a political, I don't know, softball or people have been throwing it around quite a bit is the fact that with the electoral college, you don't have, your vote doesn't necessarily count as much as you think it does. 
And from what you've just said, it sounds like, okay, if you're in a rural area or a very specific town, those specific votes will be very influential that you put in. But say I lived in California or um, Texas or some very populous place, would my vote count as much or not necessarily because the general population is so large that my little vote doesn't make a difference. Yeah, I mean, it, but it isn't just about, you know, a rural area. You might be, you know, I meant in, in terms of the national election because you, you have, you know, you have 330 some million people. Now, most of the, those people don't vote. A lot of them aren't even eligible to vote or they're too young or something. And then there's a lot of people who are of age and eligible and citizens and they're not dead or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They can vote, they're eligible to vote, but they, they choose not to anyway. But even so, you're talking still over 100 million people that do vote. And um, you know, when, when you have that lar large number, one of 100 million people just isn't a big deal. You, know, you might be in a populous place like California or you know, downtown Denver that, or Manhattan that has more, I mean, that's not quite comparable. Downtown's more of a, a hick town <laughs> compared to Manhattan in terms of density, but you know, something's, you've got more density of population, but you're voting on a, uh, a local school board within one of those areas, that still makes a bigger difference than it does on the presidential election or a national election. But you know, the, the, with regard to the, the electoral college, I think that there's a lot of people who are just basically lacking an understanding of how that was set up and what the founders really wanted the government to do. And, and, and it does have to do with this issue of you know, are we a democracy, which a lot of people, a lot of people think we are, and the founders never intended that at all. They, did, they didn't want a democracy at all. They didn't want to have, you know, people voting on so many different issues. Um, they set up the government to be a protector of rights, of the individual rights, so that there, you couldn't vote on lots of things that affected everyone. You know, that um, today it's a lot more democratic and, you know, some people feel like that's a good thing. I think that's a horrible thing myself, because you know because it's taken it's taken away the proper role of government to protect rights. And the more we go toward a democracy, democracy formally means a rule by the majority. And so, I mean, you know, if we had had the rule of the majority, for example, in the South in the 1860s, um, they would have said, "Yeah, we're voting, and we get to continue to own black people." Um, that would have been the majority winning, you know, winning election in the South. And that's yeah. not a good thing. That, that was not actually in alignment with the original founding idea of saying, no, you get to protect individual rights. Now, it took a while for the founders and, and their followers to say, we got to be consistent about this. Yeah. We're serious. No, we're really serious. And that's, you know, it took Lincoln in the Civil War to really follow through on the promise of the founders. Okay. So taking it all the way back around, your vote is definitely important. It's definitely good to have, you'll likely have more of an impact on the specific ballot items in your area than you would on the overall presidential election. But that it's good that we're only voting for so much because if we vote for everything, we might elect bad things into the world. Well, I mean, should people be able to, to vote on things that are your private business? Should, should the mob, the majority, be able to tell you how you're going to run your life? And you know, people don't think of it that way, but that's how the founders thought about it. They, they were saying, no, we want to get rid of tyrants. We want to actually get rid of the king. And we want to, we don't want to get rid of the church, but we want to put the church in its proper place. We're going to have religious freedom so that, you know, no matter what church you belong to, you have the freedom to worship as you want. And we're going to not have the mob take over for the church or the king. 
you know, in terms of being able to tell you how to run your life, guess what? You're self-governing. You get to, as an individual, decide how you want to live your life. That was their ideal. And that's my ideal. And that's what I advocate for. Now, um, that's very confusing for most people who haven't been really well educated on the founding ideals in terms of the, the proper role of government being to protect individual rights from tyrants, including the tyrant of the mob, you know, the, the majority. Does that make any sense? That makes sense. Well, and I feel um, even as recent as like women's rights, I think that it's the same thing. You, um, The government, like what is the role of government? Well, you know, with regard to the role of government and women's rights, it, it's the same thing. Just It just, you know, took a while for our culture to catch up with the idea that no, women, black people, it, what, what matters isn't your skin color or your gender. What matters is your individual humanity. And that's what we should protect, you as an individual. And of course, you know, women should be able to vote. But does that mean women should be able to vote on things that, you know, are, you know, that are taking advantage or violating the rights of other people? No, you know, women nor men or, or no one should be able to say, I can vote to uh, take advantage of my neighbor yeah. just because I'm part of a mob. That makes I don't sense. Know if that helps you on that. I think so. Now that we've gone away <laughs> to a whole new world of discussion, <laughs> um, let's kind of jump a little bit back into present day and um, present topics. So I think there's been so much pressure on who the presidential elected candidate is. And I'd like to maybe give you some time just to kind of talk about separation of powers and the fact that who wins the presidential election hopefully doesn't take over the world and change everything for the government. <laughs> Would yeah, you like to so that? In separation of powers is a key concept, right? Um, and why did, you know, you're saying, let's bring it forward to today. And hopefully I can, but you know, you can't, you can't reference like that phrase or go back to the you know, electoral college or the, you know, the whole idea of what our government's designed to do without referring back to the attention or what they, what they tried to set up. I mean, certainly the separation of powers and from my perspective is a really positive thing. And, you know, they basically said we want these three co-equal but separate powers of government. You know, the executive branch, the legislative, actually the legislative branch was the first one from Article One in the Constitution. You know, the people, the people electing people to represent them, that's, that's the legislative branch, the Congress. That's one separate uh, co-equal branch. And then uh, the president to execute the laws that the, that the people put in place through the representatives. And then the judiciary or the Supreme, you know, the, uh, the court system to actually be able to interpret the laws. And each one of those are designed very specifically to not have so much power, to be almost jealous of each other in terms of power. And they knew that if they, if they created that sort of, I mean, in, in a sense, it's, it's to gum things up or slow things down or to, to create logjam for, you know, one branch saying, no, this is how we're going to do it. And the other branch saying, no, you don't have that power. We're equal to you and you don't get to do that. Yeah. Um, that would actually slow things down. And even, even more importantly than, you know, the speed issue was just the protection of rights. Um, if the purpose of the government is to actually protect individuals, then the enemy of individuals might be any one or more of those three branches. And that's why they tried to keep them, they, they, try to keep them equal and separate in terms of their power to do something to individuals. Yeah. So in the context of the current situation, we've kind of gotten away from that more and more people because of the populism that's gone on um, 
think that, well, the president matters that much. And I'm not saying the president doesn't. He has an awful lot of power. In fact, he has, in my view, not, not, not because it's Trump or Obama before him or Bush before him, but the presidency itself has gotten too powerful, in my view, um, because the Congress doesn't do their job very well. And they, they actually let the, the president, through the cabinet agencies, make lots of laws that the Congress should be doing. Um, that's my view is that you, know, you, you actually have more and more people think the presidency matters more than it does because you know, we are moving more toward a culture of authoritarianism and looking for that, that one power that we can all, you know, think, okay, that's our guy and he's going to fight for us um, versus, and then the other, you know, whoever doesn't like that, that person uh, you know, says, you know, this is the devil himself. They, they aren't because we have a constitution and the separation of powers we're protected. So, you know, if you like Biden or if you like Trump, neither one of them really has the power to do as much damage or as much good as you think they do, <laughs> um, which is a good thing. My, my issue is that it, that is eroding. You know, we, because of our culture doesn't understand the role of those three separate branches and their purpose, then more and more people are trying to put more power into the presidency. And that's a bad thing. Is there a limit though? So, I know I've heard of like executive orders where they can basically just, they can go over some of the rules and just pass things through. Yeah. What does that look like for us? Like it's not good. Not good. Like, yeah. That's been a, that's been an increasing trend. And that's the, along the same lines of what I'm saying is that the power of the presidency is gained because Congress doesn't say, no, you don't have that power to make that executive order more and more. They defer and they say, well, okay, he, he's doing it now and we're going to let him get away with it because he's part of our party. Or, or when we get back in power ourselves, we're going to do the same thing. So they kind of one-up themselves and they try to govern that way by saying, we want our president to overcome any obstacles by quickly doing what we want him to do by making an executive order that is not the legislative process at all. And that's, you know, it is going around Congress, partly because Congress doesn't do their job, partly because the, the, the parties themselves are so so powerful. Uh, and people think about that, you know, they think it tribally rather than thinking, okay, you know, what does this person stand for and what is the actual principle they're standing upon? It's more about, well, they're on the right team. You know, they're a Republican. So I'm voting for Republican or they're a, they're a Democrat. And so that's, I got to stick with my Democrats. You know, it's very tribal or collectivistic versus individualistic and saying, you know, what is the actual principle and policy that this person stands for? Okay. So you've said that the presidential election isn't like the end all be all. They can't take over the world technically. What does that look like from a financial perspective? Do you think that one candidate or the other is going to lead to a specific financial outcome for everyone's 401ks or, or do you yeah, think that's, that's, that's hard be to say? I mean, I, 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 you know, this is maybe a good time to reference our, our, uh, we had a, uh, a discussion on politics and certainly the Colorado ballot issues here. And I, I tried to make the point that it's very dangerous as, and, and people can go to that on our website, ltsfinancial.com and, and see the video. Um, but I've tried to stress that it's very dangerous for any investor to vote entirely based upon their political persuasion. The, the presidency doesn't necessarily affect the economy that directly. Now, again, they do have more and more power, but I don't, I can't predict right now what, will happen to people's 401ks depending upon whether Biden versus Trump gets in. I think they're both bad news for the long term as far as the e economy. But it's part of the same trend that we have right now is people 
people more worried about can this presidential candidate or this party hand out goodies and favors and cronyist versus having a very healthy, uh, productive, free economy. You know, um, economies do better when they are, they have markets and prices that are accurate. And, you know, we're, we're we continue to lean against uh, market pricing right now. And, 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 you know, even though Republicans make noises like they're more about markets, they are, in my view, they're not necessarily, it just depends on the market. Um, now that said, there might be some industries where you might do better if Biden's elected and you might do better if, if Trump is elected. And we talked about those on that video some. Yeah. So do you want to just touch a little bit on that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the big ones is is energy. Um, I think Biden, even though he's saying he, you know, he, people have been trying, reporters have been trying to trap him. And, and I think rightfully so in one sense, because he is quoted several times that he's going to ban fracking and, and really do a lot in favor of the Green New Deal and against traditional energy, that could drive you know those those kinds of uh, companies to be more profitable or less profitable. So if Biden got elected, then you'd have probably a more difficult time, as we are right now, um, for other reasons in the the traditional fossil fuel energy business. Um, that's also true in healthcare. Um, you, know, you might you might get a better outcome as far as an investor with one person or the other, uh, likely from everything I can tell, you'd likely get a better outcome, um, in healthcare if you actually stick with, uh, Trump, uh, versus, you know, Biden might try to do more along the lines of Obamacare and more nationalization of the healthcare system. So those are two examples. Um, certainly both of them have made noises and both parties have made noises for a long time about, you know, doing more infrastructure spending. Um, so those kinds of materials companies might do better uh, under either one. Okay. Uh, those are a few examples of industries that might. But again, like you said, with our disclaimer, we're not making uh, any kind of predictions or giving financial advice right now. But, uh, you know, that, that can't certain industries might do better under one administration or another. Do you have any examples of how that has happened in the past? Like, I know we've talked kind of about how um, jokingly how. Obama was potentially one of the best gun salesmen in the yeah. country because of his thoughts opposing them. Um, well, gun, the gun industry isn't a primary industry in the country. You know, the, our, obviously defense contractors are a big part of our economy, but you know, the, the personal firearms is not a major part of our economy, but it, but it is a, it's definitely a hot button political issue. And if there's someone who's running for office who says they're going to crack down on guns or have more gun control, then people who are uh, first or Second Amendment um, advocates, which you know, I think if you if you're advocating for the Constitution, you, you know, it's definitely the whole Bill of Rights is something you take seriously. Um, then you get worried about that, and then and then gun sales go up because people want to buy guns and ammunition before they can't, and that's why you know like people have said that Obama was a great gun salesman because, you know, he made a lot of noises under his administration about uh, clamping down on gun sales or ammunition. That brings me to that. It's not that easy to predict. I mean, there, there's, there are historical examples where one president really does have an industry that they want to favor. I mean, Obama was clearly more and Biden probably is too more in favor of, you know, quote, renewable energy. Now this isn't to necessarily make you lose friends or, Create more drama. I think, I think people are sometimes unrealistic about what renewable means. It's renewable may mean renewable, but it certainly means unreliable. 
And that's why we're, in my view, that's partly why we're going through you know, some of the issues we're seeing of, you know, blackouts and people not actually having it. You know, it's amazing to me that in 2020, we don't actually have, you know, we do have the technology, but we don't have the, we have so much regulation in terms of power companies that uh, you know, they, they have to ration energy in today's world. It's just insane to me, but that's, that's a little bit of a rabbit hole, right? For solar energy, is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is that, yeah, most of our government policies for the last really 40 years have bought into the idea of fossil fuels being bad for the environment and that renewable energy sources like solar, wind, uh, not so much hydro anymore because environmentalists don't, don't uh, actually advocate for hydroelectric and certainly not nuclear, but most of our regulatory regime, most of the regulations um, that have happened over the last 40 years have been anti-traditional energy sources, which is the most reliable. I mean, you might argue about, are they, uh, do they pollute more and do they, do they cause environmental damage? But they're certainly more reliable uh, and they're cheaper. And so people usually will go, they might say, well, I'll make that trade-off. I'm, I'm okay with a little bit of a little bit of dirtier air or a little bit uh, of an issue with regard to the, the environment, as long as I, you know, have a job and have energy and can provide for my family, you know, and, and people don't realize how incredibly dependent we are upon to have the lifestyle we have upon cheap, reliable energy. Yeah. So that's definitely a, a hot button topic for, for uh, the election, and and you know, I don't think I don't think Trump has done a very good job with regard to articulating a pro case for reliable energy. And certainly, the people on the the left have done a lot to 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 vilify uh, fossil fuel energy. Okay. Yeah, the, uh, you had a question we talked about maybe you know beforehand uh, the whole issue of transfer of power. Yeah, I think Are that's a big one. I, I think, you know, it's amazing to me that, uh, that any presidential candidate on either party wouldn't be able to handle that question pretty easily. You know, if, if someone says, you know, will you exit peacefully? And to me, that's, that's an easy answer. That's, that's one of the major differences of American culture from George Washington forward. I mean, George Washington, there was no stipulation that he couldn't be elected again at that time. But he made a conscious choice and said, you know, we, we don't want another king. I don't really want to be here. I don't, you know, I've done my two terms. You know, he could have been elected king at the time. People don't realize that George Washington was that popular um, when he was the first president. And, and he set in motion a massive precedent that I think is like huge in world history of saying, no, this is not, you know, we're not going to have kings. We're not going to have monarchs or nobility we're going, we have a president who gets elected and then he leaves peacefully. And then, you know, whoever is elected after that comes into power. And, and uh, both candidates, especially Trump, has made, have made sort of like intimations that they may, you know, they may not trust the vote. And I think they should do everything they can to say, you know, um, we don't want any fraud in the election. We have to make sure that all the votes are counted. But once that's done, you know, it's, it's a soft, it's an easy answer to say, of course, I'm going to, this is America. <laughs> this is what America is about, peaceful transfer of power. Yeah. Uh, you know, Trump's argument and his backers argue, and I think with some, some uh, you know, validity, that, you know, that the moment he got elected, that there wasn't, you know, that it wasn't like there was a violence, but the, the people who didn't vote for Trump were not very peaceful about his election. You know, they were, they were actually trying to attack him from day one and, and did put up a lot of obstacles. Now, some of those obstacles were self-imposed. 
you know, yeah. because of the way he, he, uh, his own rhetoric, but, but he was elected and, uh, and, but that, that should be an easy, easy answer is, you know, we, we have to, and, and more to the point, and this reminds me because you and I talked about this before our, uh, you know, in our preparation for this, the, that is really important for investors. Um, you know, one of the reasons why investor, why the U S stock market has been sort of the gold standard of the world because of the transparency, long-term thinking, predictability and stability of the American form of government, meaning we do have a transfer, a peaceful transfer of power. So if it looks like there's someone, you know, who's not going to respect that, yeah. uh, that is very unstable. And that's not good for markets. That's not good for 401ks. That's really, really bad news. If you have someone who says, you know, I'm not going to accept the election outcome. And that's what happens in Banana Republic. And, you know, that, that's what happens in all kinds of other regimes around the world, not the U.S. <laughs> really bad news if we have that. Well, and that's the other thing. I feel all the previous elections have been pretty instantaneous. Like, it seems like you stay up all night, but by the end of the night, you know who the president is by the next day. What do you think that'll look like this year? Because we're, with all the mail-in ballots, I mean, is it your ballot has to, I don't know. I, I mean, I just assume I'm sending mine in soon, so it counts. But is there a hard line on, oh, if you still mailed it by mail day, then by vote day, then it counts for this year? Like, how do you think we could go into a process of a week to two weeks before we even have everything tallied up? And I think that's possible. And that, that actually did happen uh, in 2000 with Bush and Gore. Um, yeah. So there is the possibility that, you know, that, that it'll be close enough in certain certain states or certain counties within certain key battleground states that, that you won't really know. They'll be contesting ballots. Um, it's interesting. I, I actually served as an election judge when I was growing up. You know, once I turned 18, I was very involved in politics and I served as an election judge um, for a number of years. And, you know, there is a process you want, you want people from both parties or, you know, you want as much objectivity as you can. You want you know, people to say, it's one thing to advocate for my, my team or whatever, but I want a fair full count of the ballots. Um, but that has gotten more difficult. There's been more because of the mail-in process. Um, that's a lot more difficult to make sure that there isn't fraud. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, we need to have as many people voting as possible, which I, as meant, I mentioned before, that's not necessarily my ideal, but you want the people who do vote their votes to count. So then the question is, you know, if they're, if they're mailing them in and, and there's questions about, well, were those legitimate ballots? Uh, were they, you know, did they follow the process? Were they eligible to vote in the first place? You know, I, I made it kind of a quick crack about, you know, were they, were they deceased? I mean, you know, you don't want people who are deceased getting ballots, you know, cause that that's opportunity for fraud. And um, so I, to answer your question, I think there's a good chance that it'll be contested for, you know, a week or two or maybe even longer by election, you know, by party, you know, partisan attorneys who are saying, you know, we're going to push the law to find out uh, whether all these ballots that were for so-and-so were legitimate. Um, and that's, that's appropriate. Um, but if it, if it goes, if it drags on for a long time, then that, that reduces confidence in people's confidence that, that it was a legitimate election. And that's, that's a bad thing for the markets. Yeah. This is one of those cases where I don't think the drama is good. I mean, it, I do think you want it to be pretty quickly that you know, you, we find out what's happened. 
I, I actually want one of them, whoever it is in terms of the presidency, I hope one of, you know, they win fairly decisively. Yeah. Um, but again, it's partly, that's partly because I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not a fan of either one of them. Um, so I want one of them to win. I think the American people win if we know, okay, the process has been legitimate and it's decisive and now we're going to move on. Yeah. Where well, there's not a ton of recounting and double checking. Right. But I also would say, and this is my personal view. I mean, I would imagine maybe you were, you know, you were saying you're sort of representative of the millennial vote or the millennial mindset. Um, most millennials that I'm aware of have fallen for the whole idea of it needs to be more democratic. They want to get rid of the electoral college. They don't understand the whole idea of, you know, limiting the power of the government. Um, and limiting the having limitations on votes um, on voting and having you know people actually be be uh, informed and make an effort to vote. I mean, I don't. I really don't think there should be um, necessarily all this mail-in voting. Even though I will probably vote by mail, uh, Colorado has a pretty good track record of doing it without uh, any real massive fraud that goes on. But I think there's a lot of states who are who have just kind of rushed that process and are not going to have you know uh, their ballots be really as legitimate as Colorado's election. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised with the amount of technology we have available these days that it can't be just an email vote. Like what, I, you say that, okay, you're hoping that it's legitimate because it's with, including the people who are doing the mail who it might not be quite as legitimate. I mean, I'm surprised that you can't just shoot me a text message and then I click Vote, 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 vote. Well, but how many Gmail accounts do you have? Or how many email accounts do you have? I have work and I have personal. So you only have two email accounts. Mm -hmm. But just think of if we have every eligible voter and maybe even every ineligible, you know, people who are not eligible to vote who, who do have email addresses. Yeah. But they only have two email addresses. And, and I actually have, you know, probably four or five email addresses. It, there is still the opportunity for that, that to be okay. Well, does, does that mean Mike gets to vote four or five times and Taylor only gets to vote twice because I have more well, email? Yeah, I mean, how many that? addresses do you have? What's that? How many addresses do you have? I mean, physical home addresses. Yeah. I have two. I have yeah. double what you do, right? Although but you have, you may to send you two ballots. That, and that's the challenge, right? And, and I think you're right about the whole issue of technology being able to solve that. Um, that's still not the primary issue in my mind. You know, uh, it is an issue. You want you don't want people voting more than once, and you want people to, if they're eligible, to to be involved in the process. And I think there's really good potential for future elections to use technology like crypto, the like blockchain type of technology to actually make sure that only person, you know, each person gets to vote once. But to me, that the it goes back to that first thing: are you know, should we be able to vote on anything? You know, should we be able to vote on whether um, you know, black people get a vote. Should we be able to vote on whether um, um, our clients can, can invest in uh, tobacco or, you know, should that be up to the vote? You know, here's what you can, here's what you can invest your money in, but you can't vote, you can't invest in other things. Should that be up to the vote? You know, here's what you can do as far as educating your child. Should yeah. people be able to vote on that? You know, if I feel strongly about here's what I believe a, a good, solid education for my child is, and then the rest of the country says, no, we don't agree with you. 
should they be able to vote on that and tell me what I can do as far as an education for my child? Do you think that's a, a legitimate area for us to vote on? No, but I think since they already have the power, you better vote for what you want. <laughs> well, and that is the case, you know, people that, but that is that tribal mentality of saying, okay, okay, we shouldn't be able to vote on that, but since we can, we better, we better get on, get in line with our gang. Yeah. Vote. Yeah. And, and then, you know, you have this spiral toward authoritarianism that we, we see right now. Okay. Yeah. No one really likes Biden or Trump, but we gotta, we gotta go with them because they represent our gang. You know, I think that's, that's a dangerous thing. Well, and I feel it's almost been even further simplified. It's like, oh, this one represents, yeah, like healthcare opportunities. And maybe I wouldn't nationalize healthcare because my healthcare is too expensive or this one. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's, that's part of the problem too, is that it's, it's at, it, people act like they're really four different things. And in my view, you know, Trump had the opportunity in, you know, you mentioned healthcare and he had a Republican house a Republican Senate, um, he had the opportunity to reveal, repeal Obamacare, you know, for lack of a better term, as far as the health care thing. He didn't do that. He, the Republicans, and I know there's a lot of people who will disagree with me on this, but the Republicans and the Democrats are both for nationalized health care. They're both for uh, socialism in one form or the other. Neither party is truly for freedom in the sense that the founders or that I believe in. Um, and that's frustrating because, you know, people act like, oh, the, the Republicans are so capitalistic uh, or the Democrats are so socialistic. And they're mostly, mostly advocating for similar policies. They don't really disagree on much. Now, if you ask, if you ask Trump, are you going to repeal Obamacare or much of the, you know, the, the welfare state? You know, the biggest welfare state expansion we had was under Bush with the uh, Medicare Part D um, no Republicans trying to get rid of that. And they're not really for free markets in medicine. <laughs> no, they're, they're not. So there's not really that big a difference. I mean, people act like there is, but there really isn't. That's the biggest frustration for me is that there isn't really uh, any party or people on a national stage. There's a few, but very few who actually advocate for freedom. Uh, both parties are, are anti profoundly anti-freedom in my view. Yeah, I, know, I, I don't disagree. To say anti-freedom seems a little intense, though. <laughs> I yeah, think, it may seem intense, but yeah, I think, I think I'm just giving you my opinion. You know, my, my opinion that is that's, that's the fact. And, and um, now, are they anti-freedom like, um, you know, North Korea or something like that? No, the, you know, we don't have anybody who's that authoritarianism yet, but that is the path we're on. You know, whether it was under Bush, under Obama, under Trump now, whoever Trump's successor will be, it's... The trend is the trend is for more authoritarianism, less freedom. Yeah. And you know, the end of that is, you know, North Korea today or the Soviet Union in the future. You know, from the from the the, the Soviet Union in the past. Um, you know, that is the the march that we're on right now. There's certainly uh, lots of time and and hopefully education that will happen to to reverse that trend. But that's the trend that we're on. Anti freedom is the trend. Well, and so what does that look like for investors? I, if I was saying, okay, this is my first time starting to invest. I've been saving some money. I want to start investing into maybe some of the different markets that we discussed based on maybe where the politics are or maybe just where there's good opportunity. What does that look like in the long-term picture? Do you think that 
the concept of owning a company will be irrelevant in 20 years because there will be so little freedom for people who want to be business owners or no, no, I don't think, I don't think it'll happen that fast. There will be continual erosion of what it means to have a company. And, and, you know, today, you know, you really, you can own a company or, but you still don't have true freedom what to do with it. Right. Just like you as an individual can't do anything you want with your life. There's all kinds of restrictions on what you can buy or, you know, how you can uh, associate and so forth. That'll just be a trend, but it won't go away because politicians do know that, they want tax money and tax money is dependent upon productivity and productivity is dependent upon freedom. So you won't, you won't have, at least in America, you won't have it go away that quickly. Um, at least in my view, I, I, I can't predict the future. I mean, there's always the possibility that you'll have people, especially if you have like, you know, emergencies like a pandemic or things like that, then people are more likely to call for more sudden change and that change, if it's on the path of more authoritarianism, could be more sudden. But I don't. I think you know, twenty years from now, we'll still have, we'll still have companies that you know are productive and trying to do their best in, in a regulator, regulatory high tax environment. Um, and we won't have the kind of growth or, or and the tax revenue won't be what it could be. Uh, that's not a good argument for having it. But no, we'll still have twenty years from now. I, I believe we'll still have much. You know, much in the way of economic activity and corporations that are productive. The, the ones that are more free will probably be likely more productive. Okay. So you don't think that in the simplest ways of explaining it, you don't think that this election and the subsequent election after it would necessarily be the downfall of the overall market, even if uh, we're anticipating that it will likely lead to us being a more socialized nation. No, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's going to be that sudden. I think, you know, America still does, uh, you know, I've been saying how we've had eroding freedoms, but it still has many elements and a legacy of a culture of people who want their own freedom. And so it's not, it does, it's just something that happens overnight. Um, now, the other part of it is we are, we are operating under enormous debt and no one knows when, when that burden could you know, could implode in terms of, you know, the, the uh, faith of the monetary system. And that's less important uh, or less reliant upon the presidential election, more, more about the Federal Reserve and how they operate, you know, whether we continue to fund a welfare state through borrowing and printing money. Yeah. You know, some people, this is an interesting way to look at it, but some people say, you know, I'm going to vote for Trump because, you know, he, he cut taxes. And he's right. I, I'm definitely in favor of the, the fact that he cut corporate taxes. That's actually a better environment for business and so forth. But in one sense, without cutting spending, Trump is responsible for raising taxes more than any other administration. Because basically what we did was borrow the money that we're spending. And if you, if you say we're not going to, we're going to cut taxes, meaning we're cutting the revenue part of that, then we all, you know, we, we borrow from the future. And that's, that's going to be made up in taxes. If you want to be, if it's either we're going to default on all the borrowing, which is a possibility, or um, we have to continue to raise taxes to pay that money back, which means he raised taxes more than anybody. Does that make yeah. sense? No, it makes perfect sense. Well, so what does that look like? Because I've heard they're looking at possibly passing through another stimulus, yeah. stimulus package type thing. And supposedly, that supposedly he's putting a halt to that until the election goes through. So basically that burden of subsidizing people or having to deal with the fact that we're going to have 
further increase taxes in the future will be on what the new president is that correct well he, he's just basically saying he's not going to negotiate until after the election and in one hand you know it sounds like trump and politics is normal but i also agree with them i mean um yeah you know, I, I don't i actually don't think that there should should have been anyway anywhere close to the kind of stimulus that they've already pumped out you know most of the the economic dislocation that has happened was because of government in the first place so i kind of say well, because government did all these shutdowns, maybe they should try to make, make people uh, more whole or more able to pay their mortgages and so forth. If they've been you know, told they can't work, the way that it's negotiated is it, it ends up being filtered through this whole crony system. You know? And so the, the actual uh, stimulus doesn't really reach, in my mind, the people who need it the most. I'm thinking they shouldn't have any such thing. You know, they shouldn't have that. And, and so I'm in favor of Trump just saying, no, we're not going to do it. Although he'll He'll say, I'm not going to do it until after the election. And then he'll probably even spend more than I thought he would. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. So in your opinion, you don't think we should do an, a future stimulus package after? They don't work in my mind. They do work in the short. They can change uh, you know, the trajectory in the short term, but they, they always come back to haunt you. Um, you know, what you're doing is robbing from the future and you're, you're, you're misallocating capital in a big way. You mean meaning that you you're you're taking from productive parts of the economy and then giving it to people who are not as productive. You, again, in this case, they were not as productive because they were told they can't work. You know, I, I mean that's partly what makes it this difficult is because you know many people who are taxpayers and are still expected to pay taxes have been told that they can't work. Um, that's a very frustrating thing. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, I mean, just to be clear, I'm absolutely against the government uh, spending like that. Um, it's, it's just irresponsible, in my view. Okay. Do you have an opposing solution? When you say an opposing solution, what do you mean? Well, I mean, you, if you're saying that government spending isn't necessarily the solution, like a subsidy for taxpayers or for businesses isn't the solution to what's going on right now, do you have any ideas of what we could do? Or is there anything that you know of that's on the ballot that? Yeah, yeah, well, it's not on the ballot, but there's definitely been some really good proposals. I mean, there's, there's, and I think this is a long-term thing, but you know, there've been people who've actually just said, you know what we should do since there was, you know, this economic dislocation because of the virus and so forth, what we should do uh, instead of writing checks to people, what we should do is have just say, we're going to take an entire year off from all taxes. No one pays any taxes for the next year. Yeah. What would happen then? I mean, you know, if I didn't have to pay taxes, what would I do? Now I might save more. I might spend more, but the likelihood is I would invest more. And then I would potentially be able to create more job opportunities. And most businesses would actually be able to create more job opportunities. If there were, if they didn't have any taxes at all, you'd actually see a lot more growth and you'd, you'd have people who maybe were in certain industries find other jobs in other industries, but that would be real. You'd, they'd be, and maybe you'd have more people, uh, you know, in the medical fields trying to solve the, uh, the virus problem. I mean, you'd have, you'd have activity going to where it wants to go versus being distorted or manipulated or forced into where it doesn't want to go. But then that would mean that all of the government branches would be unfunded. Which well, but they're, they're not funded right now. I mean, the thing is, when we borrow, they're not really funded anyway. Okay. So, so let's just, you know, just say, okay, no taxes. Let's just borrow for a year. Completely, completely, you know, just get rid of tax, tax receipts for a full year. 
since we're so used to borrowing in the first place, just say, okay, whatever we're going to do as far as government, let's just borrow for that time period too. That's been one suggestion that I think is a legitimate one. I actually think it's a legitimate one maybe for a longer term that would force people to say, okay, well, wait, we're actually borrowing. Um, and then, you know, then the real issue of what is the role of government? What is, you know, what are we trying to fund in the first place? I mean, and I definitely recommend people go to, there's a lot of sources out there uh, that show, you know, every year how much money is, you know, just absolutely wasted by our government. It's just misallocated. And, you know, it's, it's taking from people. It's taking from people what they've earned. So it, it, it's, in my view, you know, very destructive of a productive economy. Yeah. Well, I think that would be a cool idea. Would I love to have the extra money in my pocket? Definitely. I wonder what that would look like on the flip side when the government decides to turn taxes back on. Yeah. Because I yeah, think you, it, uh, it would be hard for people to go from being comfortable with their payroll to saying, oh, now we have payroll taxes again and I don't get the full check anymore and now I have to pay out a check at the end of the year. Yeah, and, and the thing is that we've gone through, dec- you know, maybe many of your uh, your cohort, the people who are, you know, so-called millennials don't realize this, but for most of the, you know, for the, for most of the first hundred plus years of this country's history, there was no such thing as an income tax. The income tax didn't start at the founding. So how did the government function? And how do we have, you know, such an explosion of lifestyles, productivity, um, health, wealth, happiness, human thriving, which we did have um, because of the founding of the U.S. How do we have that without an income tax? I don't know. We probably did it a lot better. <laughs> we had a lot more money in our pockets. That's my view. We actually had people who, you know, they, they could do what they wanted with, you know, they, they decided rather than have some central government in Washington decide what to do with their money. Um, and when you have people, you know, they, it's weird because if you want democracy, I mean, think about it this way. How often do you get a vote? I mean, you, you've now been through a few elections, you know, in your lifetime, a few presidential elections and, you know, how often do you get a vote? Well, you know, you get a vote for president every four years and you vote, you vote for maybe representatives every two years. Um, but how often are you making financial transactions? Daily. Every day. So you're actually expressing your votes, your value system, what's important to you, you know, every day. It's much more important. And this is where I, I say, you know, voting is, isn't as important um, as you know, how you actually manage your day-to-day activity, how you man- you know, this kind of goes back to our, our first podcast about, you know, debts and, you know, buying a car or, you know, how do you manage a budget, those kinds of things. That's a lot more important for most people is how do they manage their own behavior every day to day? That's a much more, in a one sense, a democratic thing. I mean, you, you actually express yourself much better through your daily activity and your commerce, you know, what you, how you trade with other people and what you spend money on than waiting every four years to vote on, you know, one person who really shouldn't have that much power over people's lives in the first place. Yeah, I like that. So when I say, does your vote count, the vote that really counts the most is how you vote with your time, your energy, your money, your attention. And you you and I both know. I mean, that's that's partly what we know as financial advisors is that how people manage their day-to-day activity how they set their own goals, what their priorities are, how they spend their money and you know, what they spend their time on is so much more important than you know, some personality who's made some good com- commercials or 
you know, kissed a few babies or something. And yeah. That's a lot more important than, than the representatives we're voting for. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a great close to our discussion. Thanks everyone for listening in. Once again, this is Finance Fridays. Have a great weekend.